Good morning. Welcome again to Kings Avenue Baptist Church. We are so excited to be celebrating the resurrection of our risen Lord Jesus Christ with you today. This week, during the week, I've been posting videos on uh, Facebook and through social media around Dive Deeper. We're diving deeper into the different things that Jesus did during the week. But today is the best day because it's Resurrection Day. It's Easter Sunday. We celebrate that Jesus is alive. He is not dead. And because he lives, we are made alive in him. Now, even though we can't celebrate together, I want to just give us the opportunity to connect with one another in praising God and worshiping him for his resurrection. So I'm going to uh, lead all of us in a little exercise, okay? So I'm going to say he is risen, and then Samuel's going to come on screen here, and he is going to lead you in saying, in your living rooms, he's going to lead you in saying he is risen indeed. So let's try one time. He is risen He is risen indeed. All right, let's try that one more time. He is risen. He is risen indeed. All right, let's let's shake our living rooms. Let's let our neighbors hear us. Let's proclaim. Let's shout to the rooftops. He is risen. He is risen indeed. He is risen. He is risen indeed. He is risen. He is risen indeed. All right. Let's, we can just praise God because Jesus is alive. I hope you can tell that I'm excited because our Savior is alive. Our Redeemer lives. We have been made alive in Christ because he has defeated death, he defeated the grave, and he lives. Today we finish our our series on dying declarations, and uh, we've been talking about the seven things that Jesus said from the cross, and you might be wondering why we would be talking about something that Jesus said from the cross. We just celebrated the fact that Jesus has risen. Well, the last thing that Jesus said, his very last words, they actually have an application here on Easter Sunday. Because what we see is Jesus said this element, he said this saying, because he had hope on Friday that God would do what he said he would do on Sunday. And we pick that scripture up in Luke chapter 23. We're going to read verses 44 through 46. It says, It was now about the sixth hour. And there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour, while the sun's light failed. And the curtain of the temple was torn in two. And then Jesus, calling out with a loud voice, he said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And having said this, he breathed his last. Now, Jesus' final words from the cross were, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And he breathed his last. But what we notice here is something very, very important. When he said these elements, he said, having said, Luke says, having said this, he breathed his last. So it was about the the acknowledgement that he had committed his spirit into the father's hands before he died. It shows, first of all, that it wasn't the punishment that Jesus experienced that caused his death. Now, we've talked about it in great detail, that Jesus was, was beaten, he was mocked, his beard was ripped out, he was whipped, he had the crown of thorns put on his head, all of this physical suffering that Jesus experienced, but it wasn't the suffering that caused him to die. Jesus didn't uh, succumb to the punishment. Death didn't happen to Jesus. He chose to die. And we see this in the word that was used to describe uh, or interpreted uh, in what Jesus said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And then when it said he breathed his last, it's this Greek word paratithemi. And what it means in, in various translations, it says that he gave up the ghost or that he breathed his last or that he died or he expired. The common thing between each of these uh, translations is that it was a verb, it was an action that Jesus did, it was a choice that he made. Again, death did not happen to Jesus, 
Jesus chose to die. You see, he chose to stay on the cross. It was well within his power to call down angels from heaven. He had the authority to do that. He had the power to pull himself off the cross. He had the power to, to, to smite the, the guards that were you know, abusing him, to, you know, just to, to bring lightning down from heaven. He had the power to do all of that, but that conflicted with his purpose. It didn't align with what he was sent to earth to do. And so because of that, in his divine nature, he had to choose to die. He had to surrender his life. He had to willingly let go of his hold on life. You might remember from a few weeks ago, we talked about that dying declaration that Jesus made when he said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? One point that we discussed when we were reviewing that dying declaration was that Jesus called God, God. He didn't say, my father, my father. He said, my God, my God. The point that we brought out was that this was the moment when our sin was placed on Christ and the connection that he had had with God the Father from, for all of eternity up into this point was severed. And so Jesus now calls him, my God, my God. Well, why now is he calling him my father? Why is he saying, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit? His connection wasn't restored. They were not now back in, you know, in connection. They weren't reconciled at this point because he hadn't died. He hasn't been uh, risen from the dead. But what we see and, and can know is that right before Jesus said this, right before he said, Father, into your hands, I commit my spirit, Luke brings out a very important point. He says that the veil has been torn, and that veil was a curtain that separated the Holy of Holies in the temple from the rest of the temple. It was 75 feet tall, and it was torn from top to bottom. And so Jesus recognizes that in God tearing the temple, being true to his word that he would restore connection with his people, Jesus understands then that God would restore him, that he would be true to the words that are proclaimed about his resurrection. Jesus is trusting God in that time, saying, Father, you will be true to your word. So because of that, into your hands, I commit my spirit. And we, we see that there is so much here that he is uh, calling out to God. And one of the things that is, is interesting when we compare these two points is the one where he's crying out about being forsaken. That was a messianic psalm. This time where he is saying, into your hands I commit my spirit, is also a messianic psalm. And this makes sense when, when you think about it, because, you know, God promised David that he would always have a king or he would always have a descendant on the throne. Now, as you look at the history of Israel, certainly at their current time and through their history after David was king, you know, they went into exile and, you know, you can look at that and say, well, there's no uh, Davidic, um, you know, descendant on the throne. But God wasn't talking about a physical throne. He is saying, David, through you, through your line, you will have a descendant. That descendant will be Jesus and he will be the one that reigns forever. And so we understand then that there is this connection between David and Christ. And so often as we read through the Psalms, many of the Psalms are, are words that Jesus says, or they are Psalms written you know, from David's perspective, but they describe things that happen to Christ as well. Psalm 31 is a wonderful example of one of those Psalms. And I want to read just the first five verses with you. It says this, uh, D- Psalm 31, to the choir master, a Psalm of David. And you, O Lord, do I take refuge. Let me never be put to shame. And your righteousness deliver me. 
Incline your ear to me, rescue me speedily. Be a rock of refuge for me, a strong fortress to save me. For you are my rock and my fortress, and for your name's sake you lead me and guide me. You take me out of the net that they have hidden for me, and for you are my refuge. Into your hands I commit my spirit. You have redeemed me, O Lord, faithful God. You know, when we look at this, David, uh, he writes this, and it is a time where he is trusting God for uh, redemption. He is trusting God to be saved. He is trusting God to be his hiding place. Listen to the things that David uses to describe God. He says, never let me be put to shame. He says, in your righteousness, deliver me. Incline your ear to me. Rescue me speedily. Come to my rescue. He says, be my rock, be my refuge, be my fortress. He says that you would take me out of the net that they have uh, hidden in me or trapped for me and that you have redeemed me. So David is saying these things and then he also says, into your hands, I commit my spirit. So we know then that Jesus is echoing those same statements, those same sentiments. He calls out to his father, never let me be put to shame. He says to his father, incline your ear to me, deliver me, rescue me, and do so speedily. Take me out of the trap that they have set for me. He says, I know that you are going to redeem me. I know that you will help me. So in that, into your hands, I commit my spirit. Jesus understands and knows that God will fulfill the promise that he has made to him through scripture. He knew that God would deliver him. He knew that God would be true to his word and never let him see decay. When we understand this and kind of staying true to the theme of Davidic uh, prophecy and really the Psalms that David wrote about Jesus, we see a few other ones that I really think are important for us to, to discuss. Psalm 16 is another, uh, another good one. It says this in Psalm 16, 9 through 11. Therefore, my heart is glad and my whole being rejoices. My flesh also dwells secure, for you will not abandon my soul to Sheol or let your Holy One see corruption. You make known to me the path of life and in your presence, in your presence there is fullness of joy and at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Now, Psalm 16 is labeled as a miktam of David. Now, if ever you're reading a psalm and it says a miktam of David, a miktam is one that is written in times of peril, in times of difficulty, times where David was suffering. But listen to what David says as he is suffering. He says this, my heart is glad. He says, my whole being is secure. My flesh dwells secure. My whole being rejoices. How can he say this? How can he have that hope? How can in the middle of despair, in the middle of um, difficulty and challenging circumstance, how can David say these things with such hope? Well, it's because he knows what happens next. He says that you would not abandon my soul to Sheol, meaning you would not abandon me to the grave, that you would never let your, your uh, beloved one, your righteous one, you wouldn't let me see corruption. Another translation would say you wouldn't let me see decay. He says, you make known to me the paths of life and in your presence is fullness of joy and at your right hand there is, uh, there is pleasures forever. So as David is acknowledging these things, Jesus has that same acknowledgement. He knows that the Father would not let him see decay. He knows that the Father would not let him you know, remain in the grave. He knows that God would raise him to his presence where there would be, uh, you know, celebration and rejoicing forever. He knows that God would restore him to his right hand where there would be eternal pleasure. This is what Jesus is acknowledging when he says, Father, into your hands, I commit my spirit. It is because he has the knowledge. He knows with certainty that God would raise him again 
on the third day. You see, this is an encouragement for us as well, that we can understand that God would raise us out of those difficult circumstances. Now, it may not remove us from those difficult circumstances, but we can trust that we will have life in them. We can dwell secure when we surrender our spirits to God. When we echo what Jesus says, when we say, Father, into your hands, I commit my spirit. We can know that we can live alive. We can live revived in him because we have surrendered ourselves to the Father. We know that we will be raised to that that place in in heaven. We will be set at God's right hand. We are made co-heirs with Christ, inheriting all life because of the sacrifice that he made and the resurrection that he had. An additional psalm that really illustrates uh, this this messianic um, condition, this messianic prophecy is Psalm 118. And we see this in verses 17 and 19. It says, I shall not die, but I shall live. How plain is that? I shall not die, but I shall live and recount the deeds of the Lord. The Lord has disciplined me severely. You know, David is is bringing that out, but Jesus could also echo that, that he has received severe discipline for sin. No no more severe than being uh, crucified and executed and separated from God. He says, the Lord has disciplined me severely, but what? He has not given me over to death. Open uh, to me are the gates of righteousness that I may enter through them and give thanks to the Lord. I love the way that this illustrates uh, just this condition that we see here. And we see Jesus in his heart towards God. One of the things that I think is important is it says that, uh, you know, that I have not been given over to death. Now, we need to realize that this is not talking about a physical death. We know that Jesus physically died. It says this in scripture, in John chapter 19, verses 32 through 34, it says, so the soldiers came and broke the legs of the first and the other two who who were crucified with him. But when they came to Jesus and saw that he was already dead, they did not break his legs, but one of the soldiers pierced his side with a spear and at once there came out blood and water. Now, what we need to understand is, you know, when we look at crucifixion, normally it would take a couple days at times for those who were being crucified to die. They wouldn't die because of the punishment or the beatings that maybe they had received before being nailed to the cross. They wouldn't even die from blood loss normally. What would happen is because they're hanging on the cross for extended periods of time, they would become weak from dehydration and not having food. And then also, because of the beatings that they had, they wouldn't have the strength to hold themselves up and breathe. With their arms extended, they would be to sink and into their chest, they just wouldn't be able to breathe. They would suffocate to death. Now, if this took too long, what the guards would do is they would take clubs and break the legs of those who were being crucified so that they couldn't use their leg strength to push themselves up and breathe. Now, Jesus was uh, crucified with the other thieves on Good Friday, and next day being Passover, the the religious leaders, they didn't want there to be uh, these three men just hanging dead on these crosses in that time, because if they had died during the Passover, no one would be able to go and take them down from from those crosses, because they would then be made unclean by by touching dead bodies, and then they wouldn't be able to participate in the Passover feast. And so they go to the guards, and they say, please, just go ahead and, and finish them off right now. Break their legs so that they will die and that this can all be over. We can take them down from the crosses and bury them. Now, the, the, the guards, they go to Jesus and instead of breaking his legs, they realize that he is already dead. 
And so what they do is they take a spear and they pierce his side. This action fulfills prophecy because it says, again in the Psalms, that there would be no bone broken in him. There wasn't any of his bones broken. And what they did is they pierced his side. A spear went in between his ribs and into his heart. And it says that it out, outpoured, it gushed blood and water, indicating that he had already died. So when we go back, therefore, to Psalm 118, what we see is though Jesus physically died, he would not be given over. He would not be left to be dead forever. Rather, God would bring him back to life. He would restore him to that condition of life. He would not remain dead that even though he had died on the cross on Friday, Friday, Sunday was coming and he would be alive. One of the things that uh, we can also realize is that this is the hope that we have as Christians. As children of God, we serve a risen Savior. We serve a living God. Jesus died, but he is not dead any longer. He rose again. And not just spiritually. Jesus had a physical resurrection. When he rose again, he appeared to more than 500 people in the 40 days between the time that he resurrected and the time that he ascended back into heaven. We see many times that Jesus was eating with his disciples. We know that they were able to touch him physically. They were able to touch his wounds. He had a physical body in resurrection. But even in the physical resurrection, Jesus was operating in his divinity. He appeared out of nowhere. He passed through walls. He uh, physically, uh, you know, he, he physically would show up and actually hide, you know, who he was for, for moments so that people would come to an understanding of who he was. He was able to forgive Peter. He, he, spiritually forgave Peter. He performed a miracle by, you know, filling those nets with fish when they had been empty all night. And I say this because I want you to understand that Jesus rose physically, that he rose as a a man, but also he rose in his divine role. He accomplished what God had set him out to accomplish, what he had sent him to do. He lived a perfect life, He offered himself as a sacrifice for our sin. He received the punishment for that sin. He died on the cross and he rose again. He overcame death. He conquered the grave and he is alive. We know that we can be victorious in him. He rose again victorious in every way. I want you to know, and hopefully you agree with me, with those words from from Job chapter 19, I know that my Redeemer is lives. I know that I, I, I worship a risen God, that Jesus, my Redeemer, is alive. He came and sacrificed himself for me so that I might live. He redeemed me from that pit of hell that I was heading to before him, and I needed him to come for me. My sin, it was, it was leading me down a path that I would never be able to save myself from. I am dependent on him, and we all must be dependent on him. His his sacrifice secured our salvation and we celebrate in him today. We celebrate him for what he has done. I worship him because of all that he has done for me. And, and, and when I think about this, I, I get excited because even as I study this topic uh, personally, and I, and I study it frequently, I've shared it with many people, I've preached it from pulpits, I've preached it with, with youth groups, I, I, I've shared it just with, with my friends when they talk to me about what I believe. But even in all the time that I have spent studying Jesus' death and his resurrection, I learn new things all the time. And, and this week is an example of that. 
I've told you before about kind of my routine in preparation where, you know, I will put together an outline and that outline will have just some high level bullet points with some scripture that I plan to use and reference. And then as I write, um, as I write the message, I'm also looking at those scriptures and cross-referencing against other scripture in, in the Bible. Well, this week as I was preparing, I had prepared to share this next passage with you. It comes from Isaiah chapter 25, and I was going to read only verses 7 and 8, you know, based on this next point. But as I was studying and reading around it, I just, I realized that there is so much truth here that echoes some of the things that we were talking about earlier today. Truth that I hadn't seen before, and I'm excited to share it with you. The passage is Isaiah 25, verses 6 through 9. It says this, On this mountain... The Lord of hosts will make for all peoples a feast of rich food, a feast of well-aged wine, of rich, full, uh, of rich food full of marrow, of aged wine well-refined. And he will swallow up on this mountain the covering that is cast over all peoples, the veil that is spread over all nations. He will swallow up death forever, and the Lord God will wipe away tears from all faces, and the reproach of his people he will take away from all the earth. For the Lord has spoken. It will be said on that day, Behold, this is our God. We have waited for him that he might save us. This is the Lord. We have waited for him. Let us be glad and rejoice in his salvation. Verses 7 and 8 in the middle of this, they talk about God swallowing up death and, and doing it forever. And that he would wipe away the tears of the faces because death no longer has power. Death no longer has authority. And, you know, the point that I want to make there is, you know, for Jesus, he had that hope that God would not allow him to be, uh, you know, just l- l- left dead. Rather, God had swallowed up death and would resurrect Christ. But we need to look at the other verses to really understand the great context that is provided here. Because it says in verse 6 that on this mountain, God has swallowed up the covering of the people. God has swallowed up the veil that separated the people from him. What a beautiful picture of the hope that Jesus had. Remember, we said that in Luke 23, it said that the veil was torn. And then Jesus said, Father, into your hands, I commit my spirit. The fact that the veil was torn is a fulfillment of this prophecy right here that on the mountain, on the hill of Calvary, that veil would be torn. That the, se- the, the, the separation that existed between God and man, it was eradicated. The curtain that existed uh, that separated the Holy of Holies where only the high priest could go one time a year and, and, and only the high priest could be there. No one else could go into God's presence. It was on that mountain of Calvary that that veil was swallowed up. It was torn. It was no longer needed because our sin was placed on Christ. He took the punishment for our sin. He was ready to die and God would be resurrecting him again. Jesus, with the recognition that the veil was torn, knew that God would not allow him to die or not allow him to stay dead, that death had been swallowed up in victory and Jesus was ready to go into that place and secure that victory. What a beautiful hope that we have in this. We can look to that mountain. We can look to the cross and receive this, that same kind of life that Jesus, that Jesus was trusting in God to give him. We can receive salvation for our sins. We know that Jesus died. We know that he received the punishment for our sin, but we also know that he was risen again. And because he rose, we have the hope that we will rise as well. And like Isaiah said, we can cry out, behold, that we, we can cry out, behold, on the mountain of the Lord is salvation. We have waited for our God. We have waited for our Lord and we rejoice in the salvation that he brings and that he offers. Somebody needs to say amen in their living room 
right now. I mean, somebody just needs to say it because this is something that we must celebrate. Our God is good. Our God loves us. Our God sent his son to sacrifice himself for us. And our God rose Jesus from the dead. He is alive and we are made alive in him. So I have a challenge for you. I have a question that only you can answer. Will you look to the cross and live? When we look at John chapter 3, there's a verse that many of us can probably quote, John 3:16, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only begotten son that whosoever believes in him would not perish but have eternal life. This verse comes from an interaction that Jesus had with a man named Nicodemus. Now Nicodemus was a Pharisee and a religious leader and he went to Jesus in the middle of the night. He refused to go to Jesus during the day because if his peers, if the other Pharisees had seen him go to Christ, they would begin to think that he was a follower of Jesus and reject him. But Nicodemus, in observing Christ, he recognized that there was something different about him. And so he goes to Jesus and asks him about why he's different, about the hope that Jesus brings, about the message that Jesus had. And Jesus says to him, Nicodemus, if you want to live, if you want to inherit the kingdom of God, you must be born again. Now Nicodemus thinks that Jesus is talking about physical birth, and so he's confused for a moment. But Jesus gently corrects Nicodemus and says, no, no, I'm talking about spiritual rebirth. And in all of this, he helps Nicodemus by giving him um, a, a statement that Nicodemus can hold on to. And truthfully, sometimes I think that we might overlook the significance of this statement. Nicodemus probably didn't even understand what Jesus was talking about until he saw Jesus on the cross. And it's in verses 14 and 15, right before John three sixteen, that Jesus says this statement to Nicodemus. He says, And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. When we look at this, Jesus is talking about a time in Numbers 21 when the Israelites had sinned against God. When they were, in puni- they were grumbling and in punishment, God sent poisonous snakes into their camp and the snakes would bite the people and the poison that was in them would cause them to die. Now Moses intercedes to God on behalf of the people and God says to Moses, take a bronze snake, put it on a stick and hold it up high in the camp, put it in a place where everyone can see. And when they are bitten by the snake, the people can look up to the bronze snake that is hanging on the tree and they will live. What Jesus tells Nicodemus is just as that bronze snake is there, when the Son of Man, he says, when I am hanging on a tree, people will look to me and live. You see, what we need to realize is all of us have been bitten by a snake. In the garden, the devil deceived himself as a snake, and he went and he caused Adam and Eve to sin. Now, it was their choice. And in their choice in choosing to go against what God had told them to do, sin entered their life, it entered into the world, and we are all born into a condition of sin. That sin is a poison that leads to our spiritual death and separation from God forever and ever. But Jesus says, just like that snake was risen and hung on that branch and people could look to the bronze snake and live, he says, I will be hung on a tree. And he says to Nicodemus, when people look to me, they will be able to live. So my question for you today is, will you look to the cross and live? Will you see Jesus hanging on a tree for the punishment of your sin, for the sacrifice uh, so that your sins could be forgiven and washed away? Will you look to that cross and live knowing that Jesus died for you, 
but more than just died. You have the hope, we all have the hope, that if we look to that cross, we will live because Jesus rose again. In Romans chapter 8, verses 10 to 11, it says this, But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the spirit is life because of righteousness. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give, you, give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. You see, when we look to Christ on the cross, we receive the gift of salvation and we have the hope of eternal life. We have the hope of his resurrection being lived out in us. When we look to the cross and receive him as our savior, then the same spirit that caused him to raise up from the dead, the same spirit that empowered him to walk out of the tomb on Easter Sunday 2,000 years ago, that same spirit lives in you and gives you life. Life to live today, life to live forever with God in heaven for all of eternity. He empowers us to face today. He empowers us to face tomorrow. He empowers us to face every day ahead of us because he lives in us. It's that same spirit that rose Jesus from the dead. That same spirit is in us when we choose to look to Christ. So I want to challenge you this morning. If you have never looked to Christ, choose today. Choose today to look up to that cross and realize that Jesus is no longer there. He is not dead. He is alive. He died for our sins, but he rose again to give us hope for eternity. I invite you to pray with me now and surrender your hearts and your lives to God. Dear Lord, I thank you for Jesus. I thank you that he came to this earth, that he died on the cross for my sins, that he lived that perfect life so that he could give himself as a sacrifice, that his blood would be shed to wash away my sins. I thank you for that sacrifice, God. I look to the cross and I choose life today. Lord, I look to the cross and I choose uh, to make Jesus my Savior come into my life. Save me from my sins. I receive that gift of salvation and the eternal life that comes with it. God, forgive me of everything that I have done that has separated me from you. Lord, make me like you. Make me your child. Make me uh, a follower, Lord. God, teach me to, to follow after you and what it means to be a Christian. Teach me what it means to follow after you every single day. In Jesus' name. For those of you that might have already received that gift of salvation, I invite you to pray with me that you would walk in the life that God has given you through his spirit. Dear Lord, I thank you for Christ. I thank you that he died for me. I thank you that he rose again and gives me the hope of eternity with you. I know that that hope is secure because he rose again and you you have promised that I will have life in him. God, forgive me for not walking in that life. Forgive me for choosing to follow after myself, for following after my flesh. Forgive me for those sins that I have committed. Forgive me for the times that I have failed you. God, I thank you for the forgiveness that you offer, the grace that you offer. God, I thank you that you are my Savior. I thank you that your Spirit is in me. Lord, and let that Spirit right now, God, I surrender my flesh to your Spirit. I I pray, Lord, that your spirit would teach me and show me what it means to be your child every day. Teach me and show me what it means to follow after you every moment of every day. I thank you for the life that you have given me through your son and through your spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. Listen, I celebrate with you today about the decisions that you have made. It's my prayer that God continues to bless you. It's my prayer that God continues to grow you in your walk with him. And it's my prayer that you walk in the life that only he offers every single day. 
God bless you, and we celebrate because he is risen. He is risen indeed.